Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, South London. You can visit us at calvarychapelsouthlondon.org. Welcome to Calvary Chapel, South London, if you're new. Uh, my name's Tim, I'm a worship leader here at Calvary Chapel, and um, I've got the opportunity to share with you uh, just what the Lord's been sharing with me, and it's, a, it's been a real encouragement, and um, I think it's always exciting to, when you know the Lord is speaking to you personally, and then you get to send that out and say, wow, this is what God's doing in my life. And so a lot of this is me, a discovery for me, uh, you could turn that down a bit, Ren, sorry, bro. Um, this is quite a discovery for me in that I'm learning new things through this. And so, and so basically just what you're hearing from me is not because I've got it down pat, but because God's been gracious to me and in schooling me and sanctifying me. And I think that's one of the hardest things in, in our walk is seeing the promise. And a promise is far off sometimes. The promise is on the horizon. And you're like, Lord, but your promises say, and your situation might not always match up with the promise, but God is always faithful. So let's pray and we'll get started. Heavenly Father, we do call out to you. I pray that you would really open our eyes to see what is necessary today, what is needful for us. Lord, we saw that with Mary and Martha, Mary was at the feet of Jesus and that was necessary for her to be there. And it wouldn't be taken away from her. Father God, I ask that you would reveal to us Lord, what do you want from us? What do you want to do in our hearts, Lord? What do you want to work in our lives? Your word said it is you who wills, who works in us both to will and to do according to your good pleasure. Lord, it is you who work in us to will and to do according to your good pleasure. So Lord Jesus, work in us today, I pray, through your word and by the ministry of your Holy Spirit. Just thank you for your grace, Lord, that we can stand here today and enjoy you, enjoy one another's company, enjoy sweet fellowship, Lord, enjoy your word, just thank you for that love. In Jesus' name, amen. We forget. We forget all the time. And forgetting, we lose heart. We look away and ignore the brilliance and the beauty of the Lord that made us. We forget. We forget the glory of the God and King Jesus Christ, and we forget the blood that was shed for our sake and for his glory. We forget it. And then in this position of weakness, our adversary, the devil, comes along and he'll accuse you. He'll accuse me. The deceiver takes opportunity to hammer on us and beat us down because we forget. He tries to tempt us. He lies to us. He keeps us from walking freely in a relationship that has been purchased with the blood of Jesus Christ because we forget. We feel condemned, we feel dirty. We feel unworthy and unable to continue. And then we get to the point where we look at the mess that we got ourselves in and say, I give up, this is, this is hard, I can't do this anymore. I quit. Why bother if all I do is continue to repeat the same mistakes the same lack of faith, the same foolishness. I'm never going to change. I, 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 because I forget him. And then a friend comes up to you and says, hey, bruv, he who started a work in you is faithful to complete it. Don't forget. He is faithful. Remember his promises. He is faithful. Let's not forget. Let's pray again. Let's pray. Lord, you are faithful. You do keep your promises. Oh, Lord, Let's turn to Luke chapter 22, verse 14. Uh, Luke chapter 22 is the setting is when... Jesus is about to go to the cross and he meets with his disciples. 
And he's about to institute something new. And this is what I want to talk about today, is this institution. Let's read from verse 14 through to verse 20. Um, does anybody not have a Bible? Um, one, the reason why I say that is um, we're going to be doing a lot of reading today and it'll be great if you were able to keep up and just read along with me because there's stuff here that sermons and sermons and sermons I'm basically just scratching the surface. Like I'll touch on things on each point will be a sermon of itself that I couldn't even go into. So what would be great is if you could read along with me and then when you go home, that word is going to stick in your heart and the Lord's going to speak to you through his word. Probably not even from what I have to say, but from his word. So if you don't have a Bible, please put your hand up and Bertram's got some at the back. If you need one, please um, grab one off of him. Um, Luke chapter 22, verse 14. And when the hour came, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup is poured out for you. That is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. What is a covenant? You're going to hear that word a lot. What is a covenant? A will is an agreement, uh, an arrangement. What, what exactly is it? Well, we know about um, certain things like country alliances. We know after World War One, you had the Treaty of Versailles was made, where countries came together. And made agreements, that, okay, we are not going to go to war over this, this, and this. And they, they held that peace for about, what was it, about 20 years. It didn't last very long. So you have treaties, you have financial agreements where you go to a bank and you say, excuse me, sir, I'd like some money. And they say, okay, well, who's going to say that you're not just going to run off my money? And so you make an agreement with the bank and you set down a contract, an agreement, a, a covenant, if you will. Now, these are all types of covenants, types of agreements. They're not what we're going to be talking about, but just to give an idea of what we're going to be touching on business deals you have big conglomerates merging with other conglomerates and they you know they sign big weighty contracts as, as thick as the bible with clauses and subclauses and and fine print and end notes and footnotes and it's it's big stuff it's agreements that need to be adhered to something a bit closer to home maybe music contracts we see these guys on x factor that when they win or lose they get this contract that means the music company is going to rob this amount of money off of them and sorry <laughs> phone contracts I think is some that we all deal with on quite a regular basis and probably the worst of all gym contracts <laughs> I went to a gym once and um, yeah once and I signed up for a year it was with LA Fitness I think I went for about three months and paid the rest of the year because I didn't go and I think when I wanted to end that contract, I had to pay some hefty sum. Because we entered into contract. We entered into a covenant and said, I will pay you a certain amount of money if you let me use your gym. And I said, okay, fine. We'll take your money and you're not going to use our gym. Um, so an agreement between two parties that helps form a relationship where the interests of said parties are taken care of. So you've got, let's say, two people in, a, in, in, in this agreement. I'm going to uphold my end, you uphold your end, and this relationship will work. Let's say, for instance, T-Mobile. I sign up for two years to get a phone, and I say to them, I promise to pay you X amount every month if you promise to pay, give me a certain amount of service. So that means when my signal drops in my area, I can call them up and say, excuse me, I signed a contract that said you're going to provide me this amount of service. And if you're not able to do that, I'm sorry, we have to, we have to tear up this contract, we're done. This relationship cannot continue. Thankfully, they boost the signal and I continue to pay until I'm broke the next time and don't pay. And then the, the covenant continues. So we have two types of covenant in the Bible. And I think this is really key. The ones I've spoken of so far are called conditional covenants, conditional contracts, where I am expecting you to keep your end. And if you don't, boy, watch it, we're done. And vice versa, you're expecting me to uphold my end. So these are conditional covenants, covenants, dependent upon both parties upholding their end. 
But this is the beauty of the covenants that we see in Scripture, and we're going to go into some detail, hopefully, in this, is unconditional covenants, where both parties, or just one of the parties, upholding their ends regardless of the other's commitment. An example of this, and it's not very well represented in today's society at all, is marriage. Let's listen to the, to the, to the vows given in maybe a, a somewhat traditional ceremony. I, Joe Bloggs, take you, Mary Jane, to be my lawfully wedded wife, to have and to hold from this day forth, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish till death do us part. And here too do I pledge my faithfulness. There's no conditions in there. I'm going to love you if you love me. If you get sick, I'll take care of you if you're nice to me. I'm going to keep this covenant if you keep supplying the money. And even, and I know this is a touchy subject, so we won't go there, but like unfaithfulness. Regardless. And I only say that because it's a small picture of a bigger one. And often the person that is wrongly treated in this covenant says, but hold on a second, it's not fair. I'm only using this as an example because God is the one that often holds this covenant with us and we're always unfaithful. So at various points in scripture, God enters into covenants with men, with nations, with people. We see they're they're strewn all over the Old Testament. And the most important one is spoken of all over the New Testament. So why a covenant? Why would the creator of the universe enter into a contractual agreement of sorts with man? Why would he do that? Why would he see fit to do that? He doesn't lie. He's perfect. He tells the truth. He's, he's honorable. He's loving. Why do we enter into this contract? What's the point? If he is who he says he is, surely there's no need for the contract. Most of this message, if not all of it, is plagiarized (laughs) from Covenants and Blessings by Andrew Murray. And I say that quite freely because most of what's in this book is plagiarized from the Bible. And so it's all right. And also it's for the glory of God. It's not because I'm trying to say, hey, look at me, I'm a great speaker. It's just mainly because, um, you know, you do your research and this guy, Andrew Murray, really encouraged me and blessed me. He says this. And this is a few sentences taken from the first few chapters, but I put them together. Oh, by the way, um, shameless plug. You can get this on Amazon for $1.99, either the electronic version for your Kindle or whatever, or the actual um, print. It's still in print, so I recommend you get it wholeheartedly. Um, He says this, In his infinite descent to our human weakness and need, God's pledge of faithfulness goes beyond the ways of men. He has consented to bind himself to us in covenant as though he could not be trusted. It is a guarantee, a security, that God will do all that he said he would do. Designed so man could have a hold upon God as a covenant God for our benefit and for our assurance. Don't think God actually gets much out of the covenant generally. Because we need assurance that he is faithful. Because we need to know we can hold God to his word. Throughout history, God has entered into covenant with man so that we might believe in him and have rest as it was intended in the first. Again, to paraphrase Murray, he talks about how in the garden there was this perfect relationship of trust. There was no sin. God said what he would do and he did it. And man said, yes, Lord, I believe you. I trust you. I see you. I hold fast to what you've promised. There was this perfect relationship. No covenant was needed. Perfect trust. And therefore, Adam and Eve were in perfect rest. God will do it. God is able. And then the sneaky devil comes along and says, did God really say 
And all of a sudden, because of them now dis- disbelieving God and not trusting his faithfulness, they sin and then they're ashamed and afraid and they have to work now for the rest of their days. No more rest, no more peace, no more relationship. It's destroyed because of sin. Unbelief came in and thus our rest was destroyed. Hebrews 3, uh, the author of Hebrews is quoting the Psalms regarding the children of Israel. And he said, I've sworn they shall not enter my rest because they will not believe. It's a natural consequence of unbelief. And I can say this is true because I know over the last few months I've really struggled because, and and this is where I feel that this has been really important for me, is God saying, well, we'll get to that in a minute, but he's saying, look at me, believe me, rest. And I've been not looking at God, I've been looking everywhere else, and I've been stressed out and in a sense of just striving. And then you fail and you're like, I can't do this. And it's just a natural consequence. I have sworn they will not enter my rest because they would not believe. And because of my sin, this rest, this trust, this belief relationship is destroyed. And every time we sin, it happens again. But this is what I think is just uh, blew my mind. God condescends to our level. Often we, we tend to think of God kind of like us. Um, if we've ever pictured images of God, mainly because of Catholic art, we think, oh yeah, he's this way, he has hands, he has eyes, he has feet, he you know, has a sense of humor. He, he's nothing like us. And I'm not saying that to be harsh, but it's true. He's so far above and beyond us. And yet, this incredible, mysterious, wonderful creator God comes down to our level and like Murray said, binds himself to us as if he could not be trusted and says, you can trust in me. Look, boom, here's a covenant. God desires to restore that relationship that it was in the first and actually more so than it was in the garden. That trust relationship that I believe you, God. And then the result of that is rest, peace, no striving because of sin, no striving because of fear, no striving because of doubt. You see him, you believe him, and you rest in him. This is the promise given. And so he comes down, he condescends to our level, he says, you know what, I'm going to get on my knees, and I love this analogy, I share it all the time, and I'm going to play with you. Like a father would get on his knees and play with his son. Condescending to that level so they might have relationship. So they might have fellowship. We forget. We forget that God is faithful. We forget that God is gracious. We forget that he is our provider. We forget all the time. And so therefore he makes covenant with us. Lest we forget. Let's look over the scriptures and see some examples of covenants, both conditional and unconditional, and see how God has kind of set this in in order, leading to the ultimate covenant in Jesus Christ. Uh, a really lovely one, because it's got some really great imagery in it, is the, is the Noahic covenant, the, the covenant between God and Noah and his descendants. Let's turn to Genesis chapter 8, verse 20. And this is where I'm going to start reading a bit, so please just follow along. And if you are not able to do that, just take down the scriptures and and, and read through them later because they really are quite special, especially in regards to the symbology and the imagery given. So this is after the flood. God has just judged the entire world because of sin and because of impurity and sent the flood that covered the entire earth and killed all living things. In order to cleanse it. I'm going to read. Um, and I'm going to end up at um, verse 17 of chapter 9. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord. And took some of every clean animal. And some of every clean bird. And offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma. The Lord said in his heart. I will never again curse the ground because of man. So here's a promise. 
the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, here's a condition, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The fear of you and the dread of all of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground and all fish of the sea. Into your hand they are delivered. Every morning, sorry, every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. It's another promise. But you shall not eat the flesh while it is alive. While it's life, that is, it's blood. For your lifeblood will be required. I will require a reckoning. For every beast, I will require it from man. From his fellow man, I will require reckoning for the life of a man. So there's a condition. The condition is from now on, if you kill somebody, your, your, blood, will be, your blood will be forfeit. Whoever sheds the blood of man my, by man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in his own image. And you be faithful and multiply. Team on the earth and multiply it. And God said to Noah and to his sons, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and with your offspring after you. And with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, every beast of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark, it is for every beast on the earth. I establish my covenant with you and never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. And never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. So here we have a covenant given. And just picture it with you if you will. We understand from scripture that there was no rain before the flood. Because around the outside of the earth was like this blanket of moisture, this firmament. It was like tropical. Any of you been to Jamaica or in the tropics where it's just constantly moist and damp all the time. And it's just lush because there's all this this water and this, it's just fantastic. The sunshine, it was like that all the time. The, the water would come up from the ground and then down. It was, but there was no rain. So the flood came and this is all they knew of rain was the flood. So if they lived in England, I think they'd be a bit shook every time it rained because that's all they knew about the, the rain was it flooded. But so that they wouldn't be afraid, so that they would trust God and have peace with him and rest in him, he gives a sign. Check this out. Verse 12, and this is the sign of the covenant that I, make, that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I will set my bow in the cloud and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring the clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh and the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. How precious is that? So not only, the only thing you know of rain is this, is this deluge, this, this destructive power. So then when the, when the rains come, you see the rainbow and you think, my gosh, God's going to keep his promise. And we have floods today, but never has it been like it was. It was never been, it's always specific to a region. I think it was Bournemouth who got flooded yesterday. But it wasn't the entire globe. And he gives us this covenant to say, God is faithful. We can rest. God will take care of us. We will not be wiped out. And put, figure at this point, there was only eight people on the earth. It wasn't like there was a million people and he's saying, I'll protect you, I'll take care of you. Eight people on the entire globe and God's saying, don't be afraid. I'll take care of you. I just think that's precious. I think that's really, that's really special. One of my favorite covenants is the covenant with Abraham because it's an unconditional covenant. It's God saying, I'm going to do this. Watch me. <laughs> that's it. That's, all he, that's all, all he had to do. That was the condition. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 15. And again, to set the scene, Abraham has just been gone to defend his nephew Lot from three kings that came against him and the king of Sodom. And then Abraham, I love it, takes 300 of his servants, goes down there and wipes them all out, takes spoils. And it's just, well, it's just a wonderful picture of 
just a faithful man of God with a few men being used to do mighty things. But you think about it, you've just gone up against three kings, somehow one, and now you're coming back home and you're thinking, my gosh, is there going to be retribution? Are these guys going to come back after me now? They know where I live. And so you're a bit shook. And again, to give him rest, God meets him and gives him a covenant. Let's read from verse 1 to verse 21, the whole chapter. (laughs) Bear with me, it's worth it. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Fear not, Abraham, I am your shield, your reward shall be very great. This is his promise, I am your shield. And again, here we see in verse 2, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is some dude called Eliezer of Damascus. And behold, you've given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. He's not my son. And this is how great, I, I, I love it, because here's a man, almost audacious, if you will, almost feisty in his ways, like, okay, Lord, you said you're going to give me a reward. What's the point of you giving me a reward if I've got no legacy to give it to? And in that day and age, your legacy was everything. He's a rich man, and he's got no one to pass it on to. You promised me a son, Lord, but here I am, 20 years down the line, and I'm, I still have no son. My, my, my manservant is going to be the one that gets it. And I, this is what I mean when I say that God condescends. In all rights and, and, and for all reasons, the Lord should just say, excuse me? Boop. And just wipe him off the face of the planet. Because it's like, how dare you be so untrusting and, and, and just rude? Like, don't you know who he is? And this is the grace of God. The Lord says to him, I know. I understand. I see your need. I see your fear. I see your doubt. And I do think it's important that we are honest with the Lord and straight with him. Obviously, don't forget he's the king of kings. Don't be disrespectful, but we can be real. Lord, look at my plight. Hear my cry, O Lord. We see David doing it all throughout the Psalms. We see um, Hannah doing it on the steps of the temple. Lord, I want a son. And the Lord hears our cry. So don't be afraid to be real with God in your quiet time. Don't be afraid to be very specific about your needs to God in your quiet time, in that closet. Because it shows that we're, de- we're desiring of him. It shows faith towards him that we're crying out to him. It's not like we're going to something, oh, the Lord's rubbish, you know. He d- no, you're going, Lord, help me. And I think it's really appropriate. Verse 4, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and says, look toward the heaven and number the stars. If you're able to number them, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. Check this out. This is awesome. The first time belief is mentioned in the Bible, it is linked with righteousness. The first time righteousness is mentioned in the Bible, it's linked with belief. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I love it. Abraham just simply believed him and said, Lord, I'm going to take you at your word. I'm going to take you at your promise. And God said, okay, because you believe in me, I'm going to justify you. And it's the same today. The Lord never saved man. Self-righteousness never saved man. Never. It was always faith in God, belief that restored the relationship and brought rest. Ah, love this stuff. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from the earth of the Chaldees to give you this land to possess. And again, the audacity of Abraham. But he said, oh Lord God, how am I to know that, you, that I shall possess it? Like, Okay, Lord, the King of Kings, the God of all heaven is giving me a promise. But Lord, how, how am I going to know that this is really true? And again, the Lord should say, excuse me, my word is my word, just take it and be done. But he doesn't. He gives him a promise. He makes a covenant. And he said to him, bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these and cut them in half and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. 
And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abraham drove them away. Now notice two things here, similar with the, the Noahic covenant. There was blood that was shed. There was a cost involved. Especially in those days, livestock was very costly. Your wealth was described in how many sheep you had. Your wealth was described in how many camels you had. That was your wealth. And so when you slew a heifer, a goat, turtle doves, pigeon, it was costly. And it said, this is important and it means something. Because anybody can make a covenant flippantly. You say, oh, I promise this, I promise that, I promise this. And then you say, well, yeah. No, no, there was bloodshed. It was serious. Noah, same thing. And we even see in the New Testament, it's clearly stated that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. There is no agreement. Without the shedding of blood, we have no agreement. We have no basis for this covenant. Verse 12. And as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abraham, and behold, dreadful and, dreadful and great darkness fell on him. Then the Lord said to Abraham, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in the land that is not theirs, and will be servants there. And they will be afflicted for 400 years, and I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve. And afterwards they shall come out with great possessions. As for yourself, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquities of the Amorites is not yet complete. And when the sun had gone down, it was dark. Behold, a smoking pot, fire pot, and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. Now don't forget here, Abraham is in a deep sleep. And he's seeing this vision in his sleep of these animals split in two. And actually in the Hebrew, this is called the covenant of the parting. The covenant of the parts, sorry. Because you had the two, and generally what would happen in Chaldean, because covenants is not God's idea. Covenants were man's creation. It would be a, a, a Chaldean thing, a Babylonian thing, where you cut the animals in two, and the two would walk through the sacrifices, and that would be the signing of the covenant. God walks through the splitting of these sacrifices. Only God walks through, which means who is it, who is it reliant upon to keep the contract? Was it Abraham's? God promised, and he is faithful to do what he said he would do. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, verse 18. To your offspring I give this land, from the river, Euf from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Kadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. And we see even in Jeremiah, the prophet says, can you make the sun stop rising? Can you make the moon stop shining in the, he in the heavens? Can you make the days and the years cease? When you can do that, God's covenant with Abraham will cease. And today we still see it. His covenant is still faithful. They are still a nation. They're still here. Whether you agree with the politics or not, it's not my problem. But God is faithful. There was nothing Abraham could do to undo that covenant. And what was it based on? The first thing was Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. So then why was this covenant made? So when things got shaky, when the nation of Israel were in Egypt, they should have been able to look back at the covenant made with Abraham and say, wow, God promised. The sign of it, actually the circumcision made in their flesh, the cutting off of their foreskin, but no other nation did, ever. And that sign is still with us today. And you can see that and see the separation and the sanctification of Israel and say, God keeps his promises. Because that, even that sign is still around today. The rainbow is still around today. Let's look briefly at the covenant with Moses. Sorry, it feels a bit like Bible college today. I think what I love about it is that throughout scripture, everything has a purpose. Nothing's there just because, oh, it just happened to be included. It was, you know, it's written by a creator over 4,000 years, 40 different authors, 66 books, and it all knits in and weaves in. So if you see a concept in the New Testament, guaranteed that concept will be followed through in through the Old Testament, woven in. If you see Jesus in the Old Testament, it's because he's meant to be there. 
If you see, hear something in the Psalms that sounds like the Messiah, you can bet your bottom dollar it is the Messiah it's talking about. And I love it. Sorry, no tangents here. <laughs> so verse, um, chapter 19, verse 1 to 9. Here we have Israel come out of Egypt. It's the third month after they come out of Egypt. They're on Mount Sinai. Sorry, Exodus chapter 19, my bad. Egypt has come out of, Israel has come out of Egypt, sorry. And it's the third month they've come out and they're on Mount Sinai. And God is giving them something that they can stake their claim on. So they can say, look, do you remember this? When God said this and God gave us this sign and God is faithful. Let's read with me, one, verse, chapter 19, verse 1 to 9. On the third new moon after the people of Israel had gone out from the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain. While Moses went up to God, the Lord called him out of the mountain saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, Tell the people of Israel, you yourselves have, have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Again, we see that restoration of relationship. That's the point. God wants to restore our relationship with him that sin destroyed. Now, therefore, I will indeed obey. If you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So Moses came and called the elders to the people and set before them all these words that were com- the Lord had commanded him. All the people to answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do. And Moses commanded the words of the people to the Lord. Sorry, reported the words of the people to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you. And may also believe you forever. There were sacrifices made. The blood was actually sprinkled on the people. There was the law written. This time the the covenant was written down. That's why you have the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant was where the tablets of the covenant between the Ten Commandments were written. And were placed in the Ark of the Covenant. So not only now is this a verbal agreement. This was a written agreement. Signed in blood. And the sign of it was the Sabbath day. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Now, that still exists today. The sign, the Sabbath, is what separated the Jews from every other nation. The Sabbath was the day that they rested, and they said, look, we don't work on the Sabbath. And this was a sign that says that we're different from the rest of the world. This is a sign that says God will keep his promise if we are faithful to the covenant. And this was a conditional covenant. This is a covenant where he says, if you are faithful and if you are obedient and if you honor me and if you love me I will treasure you I will love you and it's this two way thing the problem is they saw that covenant and they thought that it would save them they saw the covenant and said right we've moved on from Abraham now we make our own righteousness we hump it and hype it and you know we, we produce this whatever it is and we say here you go Lord it's the best I've got And it stinks. So why do we need a new covenant? Surely this is is enough. Look, he gave the entire nation of Israel a covenant. The Ten Commandments. Be righteous and I will love you. Turn with me, if you will, to Jeremiah chapter 31. I could go really into the Mosaic covenant. It's huge. It's... Most of the Old Testament is based around it in a sense of it's the history of Israel, pretty much. But I want, that's not what I want to focus on. I want to focus on what the Lord has given us. Um, Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 31 to 34. And this is at Israel's lowest point that this covenant is prophesied about. Jeremiah 31, 31. Israel is about to be attacked by the Babylonians. Jeremiah is prophesying, repent, turn to the Lord. Believe in him. Restore the relationship. And they are having a bar of it. He's the most unsuccessful prophet if you're looking at instant convert. Conversions. Instant converts. 
didn't get one convert that we see of throughout Jeremiah. In the world's eyes, you'd say he's a failure. But that wasn't his job. He was called to be faithful and just speak the word that God gave him. He did because now we have it. We have promises like this that we can look back on and say, yes, Lord, you know what you're doing. Verse 31, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. And I love it. This is what he says he will do. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. And all that that entails, the God of heaven, the God of grace, the God of love, the God of righteousness, the God of peace, I will be their God and they will be my people, the people of God, the people of the Lord. Verse 34, and no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, know the Lord, for they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. Here's a condition. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Behold, I will make a new covenant. Why did we need a new covenant? Why was a new covenant necessary? Why did God need to make a new agreement? What was wrong with the old one? The old one actually completed its purpose completely. It didn't fail. The problem was it was insufficient to the expectation given. By that I mean men thought it would save them. Men thought the law was sufficient to save them. If I keep the law, if I keep the Sabbath, if I keep these dietary requirements, if I go to synagogue this many times and I go to the feasts and then I'll be righteous and God will accept me. That was never the point of the law. We see in Galatians chapter 3 verse 24, the law was a schoolmaster to lead us to Christ. There was a problem and we were not aware of it. The problem was we are out of relationship with God because of sin and sin is the problem. So the law says, Alarm, alarm, alarm. You've got issues that need to be dealt with. That's what the old covenant did. And it did a very good job of it. So much so that we see Mike out in Brixton and Leicester Square, even now, using the law to say, did you know that you need Jesus because of this problem and this problem? Because you're a liar, because you're a thief, because you're an adulterer, because you've stolen. Because you have other gods apart from the only God. And it's sufficient to task it's sufficient to do the job it set out to do which is to say you need Jesus so why did we need a new covenant why, is, why wasn't this old agreement satisfactory because it was insufficient and it didn't save us a new covenant was, was needed and it says in Ezekiel to take our heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh our heart was dead. Before we knew Christ, our heart was dead. Our spirit was dead. We couldn't have this relationship with God. Like in the garden, that was impossible through our own means and efforts. Something had to change. Something had to be reissued or redone or remade. We needed to be born again. No longer would the laws be written on tablets of stone, it says here in Jeremiah but to be written on our hearts. And this is the covenant set down when Jesus shed his blood. And here is the sign of the covenant where God says, I will forgive your iniquities and I will remember them no more. And then I forget. And then we look at the cross and we look at the sign that God gave us when Jesus took all of our sin upon his shoulders. Jesus took all of our shame and the blood was shed and we remember the sign and we can believe in him and we can say God is faithful to do what he said he would do and we can be at rest with him because we forget because we do not believe because we lack 
in faith, we fail to enter his rest. And this is the thing, this is what's nuts, is the rest has been provided. The rest has been given. If you find yourself stressing and striving in your relationship with God, something is wrong. Something is out of kilter. Something is imbalanced. Uh, You can turn there if you will, but I'm going to read Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. If you want to learn about the new covenant as it's set out in Hebrews, it's Hebrews chapter 9 and 10. and And it really should be another study of itself. So maybe if I get another opportunity, we'll get to look at that. Because it speaks of, let me summarize Hebrews up. I've, I've done this before because I love it. It's just, it's so rich. Is Jesus is better. Simple. Better than the priesthood, better than the law, better than the angels, better than us. Jesus is better. So choose him. Have his hand on you and let him do the work that he does in you. So Hebrews chapter 10 verse 19, it says, why is the new covenant better than the old one? Therefore, brothers, since we have a confidence to enter the holy places by the blood, the same thing, we see the sacrifice. There is no remission of sins without the shedding of blood. By a new and living way that he opened to us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. Since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Now, you've probably heard this before, but there's a therefore at the beginning of the chapter. And it speaks of a cause. So, something happened, therefore, ba-ba-bum. So it's there for a reason to speak of something that's spoken of before. Seeing there's a new covenant, seeing that there is the blood of Jesus shed, seeing that he is our sufficient promise, our sufficient sacrifice, we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. That relationship is restored. We can trust in him. Looking at the cross, looking at the blood, we have full assurance of faith. Verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Now this is where we're called to remember. This is where we're called to now look at the covenant, look at the promises. And this is where I fail. I don't pick up the word as often as I should. I'm not in fellowship being told by my brothers, Tim, did you hear this promise that I read in the scriptures the other day? It's banging. Remember God's promises. I was at the funeral the other day and I was speaking to Ben about some of the struggles that I was having. And Ben said to me, Tim, he who began a good work in you, it will be faithful to complete it. And it was just like, huh, he will. And if you know Jesus, this is the promise. And the sign is the blood. Verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. This is wonderful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more so as you see the day approaching. The church was new in Acts chapter 2. The, the church was brand new. Just, just started. Acts chapter 2 verse 42. They were daily in fellowship, breaking of bread, apostles' doctrine, and prayer. We need these things. We need to remember. And when I'm on my own, as good as I might look, I forget. And I need you guys to remind me. I need the word of God to speak the promises of God into my life. 
I need to look at the cross and see the forgiveness of sins that was freely given and say, God is faithful to do what he said he would do. So when we take the bread and the wine, we remember and we believe and we find rest in Jesus, the covenant keeping God who holds us and never lets us go. So after I pray, we're going to take communion together. And what I'm going to play, the communion is going to be up at the front. I want you guys just to think about where you're at with the Lord, to think about his promises. And when you're ready, come up and get some communion. Maybe go to the back or go back to your seat. Maybe sit with somebody and pray. We're just going to take this time to remember God's faithfulness. I realize there's a lot of us and there might be a queue. So just, just take time. We're not in a hurry. Um, yeah, amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, your, your promises stand true. Heavenly Father, you care about us enough to say, I know you're weak and that you forget. And so you give us a, a family to, to encourage us. You give us your word to strengthen us. And you give us your Holy Spirit to comfort us. To comfort us. So Lord, as we do just spend some time thinking about you, I pray that you would really speak to us, Lord, and you would remind us of your promise. That you are the one that keeps us. Forgive me of my sin, Lord, for they are many. Cleanse me from my unrighteousness. And it's not my sorrow that saves me, it's your blood. And I pray that we would believe in you and it would be accounted to us for righteousness. And he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it amongst yourselves. And he took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, he took the cup. And after he had eaten saying, this cup is poured out for you. It is the new covenant in my blood.